What's Architecture Really About? Archispeak is the show that dares to peek under the architectural kimono, exposing what architecture really is, what it is that architects really do, and show you why we are passionate about our chosen profession. I'm Neil Pan. Join Evan Troxel, Cormac Phelan, and me as we have a casual conversation about all things architecture, which includes all the stuff people don't talk about. Think you already know what architecture is really about? Tune in to find out. It's time for some Archispeak. This week I I posted uh, some images online that uh, started getting some feedback about what's on your bookshelf and uh, used the hashtag Architects Library. And uh, that that turned out to be um, a little bit popular. Some people posted some images of their libraries, which was a lot of fun to to get that sort of feedback. Uh, But where I was really going with the idea is, you know, architecture – uh, what sort of uh, books do we have in our libraries and how often do we really use them? And and then also just to see, you know, what's everybody else's library? So it started really with uh, architecture graphic standards. And um, I think I've got the eighth edition, which I bought for some unknown reason, brand new back in college. So I guess they didn't maybe they didn't have a used one back then. But uh, how much did it cost? That is a good question. I know it was over $100, and yeah, that was a I lot of money. The, I think that, well, the last time I looked at the cost of, like, the 11th edition, uh, the silver one, wasn't it, like, over 200 bucks or, And that's not including the, the disc that comes with it. Um, they're, they're pretty pricey. Um, and actually, Neil, you know, I, I had responded to one of your posts, and I said, I think I've got three. Well, cleaning out my basement yesterday, I actually found a fourth. <laughs> so I actually wow. have four different volumes of architectural graphics. So, so and I, also, is, I was going to ask you, which is the oldest one? Um, I actually have a um, version four or edition, fourth edition. I have a sixth edition. I have the eight and I have a 10. But I also have two um, means graphic uh, construction standards are, you know, from means. Right. Um, have you guys ever seen any of those? Those are actually really good construction detail um, manuals. Um, I, was, I was really impressed with the amount of detail. And I'm, I've got a really, well, really old edition. Um, I think it's probably about 13 years old. And it, uh, it it's still relevant today for, you know, flashing details and stuff like that. I was actually quite surprised in how many different like details. I've got two different smack notebooks, you know. Um, it it just yeah, it was it was pretty wild. That you know once once you posted that, and you know we were talking about graphic standards, and I you know did uh, something that I've been promising my wife I would do for years now, which is clean out the basement and get it organized. I pulled all my books together, the ones that have been in boxes, and. Uh, I was pretty impressed at how big it is. Well, some of the comments I received, I posted this to several groups on LinkedIn, and I got a number of comments from other architects that had older editions, um, like, I don't know, about 
fourth edition. Yeah, some maybe some fourth editions, but uh, several people commented how they um, used them, uh, especially when doing renovation work on older buildings, and they would yes. go back and look at how things were detailed in those older editions to use them as reference uh, to what they were doing today uh, on those on those older buildings. And I thought that was a really uh, useful. Um, uh, thing to do with with some of those older volumes uh, to it's kind of almost like a history book of how things might have been done uh, especially if you haven't torn uh, an older building apart yet to, to kind of get a clue of how maybe it might have some detailing or, or uh, different aspects of the building might have been put together from the 30s or the 40s uh, by using those as a reference I, I was recently using graphic standards in the office because I'm working on a performing arts building for a new high school and we have two versions. One, one of them is, is a friend of mine's personal version, and one just seems to float around the office. But um, there was actually some stuff in the older one that was way more applicable with sections through theaters that were actually drawn by someone at HOK way back in the day. It even says that in the book. And uh, when you're looking at different you know, seating heights as mezzanine levels curve up, and it's super cool drawings in there. You know, there's a certain quality to them. Um, and then just the information that's presented in those things is indispensable when it comes to lots of different kind of early um, design layouts. And when you're trying to figure things out, there's some really cool stuff in those. The funny thing, I'm looking on Amazon right now, and you can buy the book for $183.45. But <laughs> you could rent the book for a semester for $162.50. Oh, you know, well, that... uh. They actually have the student versions. I mean, did you guys ever have the student versions in school? Um, no. Because I actually have two student versions that are probably about half the size. They're paperback bound, obviously a lot cheaper, probably around like 80 bucks or something when I bought it. But I have a student version of the 10th edition, and then I can't remember what, you, what, what the other one is. But, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's like half the size. It's kind of a condensed. Um, it doesn't have a lot of the... Uh, notes to explain some of the details. It's just more, you know, purely for the graphic of yeah. the details that students sort of use, don't really use. But, you know, it's interesting you know, you, when you say that, that, you know, you reference back to some of these older, you know, older volumes. And Evan, just like what you just said with the, you know, you looked at the older ones to find more relevant details. When we were doing the uh, um, historic project, uh, I couldn't get enough um get my hands on enough older volumes of either graphic standards or just, you know, some of these more obscure uh, publications that showed me what your typical construction detailing was for, you know, the late 1800s, you know, early 1900s, because, you know, we didn't have any existing drawings for these buildings that we're, you know, renovating and adding on to. So, you know, we had to do a lot of guesstimation, you know, assuming that, you know, we were going to have some kind of, uh, you know, um, alternate to have uh, unforeseen conditions, you know, some and things like that. So we it was it, the, none of the none of these books really are irrelevant. You know, we always need them sometime if it's just simply to kind of see where we came from or, you know, how to how to build it against you know one of those old buildings that the you know guy that was in our shoes uh 70 80 years ago what did he 
did we know what reference manuals and materials did he use when he was drawing what we are now trying to renovate? You know, speaking of uh, graphic <clears throat> architectural graphic standards, one of the uh, one of the books that <clears throat> I found very interesting and uh, persons I found really interesting for drawing uh, was Frank Ching. Uh, I've got yes. several of his books, uh, like architectural graphics. And what, yes. I, what I find uh, really interesting about uh, maybe I, I, what I need to do is go back and look at those books again, uh, is that what we try and do in the computer today is almost duplicate uh, some of those same sort of graphic styles that Frank uh, put in his books years ago. And what I was just looking him up, by the way, and noticed oh, that he's still, he, he is still active. He's, he's on Twitter. Even. Yep. Um, and he's, and one he's of, got a, I was going to so, say one of the one of the trivia things about Frank is uh, a very popular font um, that uh, architectural looking font that Adobe uh, produced um, probably almost 20 years ago now when they first generated this font. It's uh, called Tecton. Um, mm -hmm. And that was actually modeled after Frank's lettering in all of his books. So a uh, little bit of trivia for you there. And that brings up, I can't stand it when people use architectural drafting fonts on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a pet peeve of mine. I get it, though. I get it. Our firm uh, used know, to use it in all their drawings. Well, you know, and I, I don't understand that either because, you know, now that we're, you know fully immersed into the computer age and we're drafting and doing all of our notes and everything else on the computer just use a legible font that you know explains all of your general notes and your specific notes and just make it you know easy because sometimes you know I, i've seen people use some pretty you know pretty crazy stuff out there for their fonts you know like yeah it looks great but can you can read, read it? it yeah I'm actually going to be the lucky recipient of a couple of Ching books because I don't have mine anymore. And a friend of mine found some at a thrift store, and uh, he bought them. He snapped them up for me. He's going to nice. deliver them over a over a brew one day here. That's very cool. Yeah. I've, yeah. Uh, in, in fact, I actually just you know, I, I was reacquainted yesterday. You know, digging through the basement, I was reacquainted to a lot of books that I didn't realize that I had, and I've got three Ching books. Um, all of them, you know, I bought when I was a, a student, so they all still have like the sticker from the, uh, university yeah. bookstore. Um, but they're, you know, like I was saying, they're all still relevant there. You still can use them and refer to some really good details and just way that you actually present them. Cause, you know, as I say in the office, I mean, if you, until we get to the point where we're constructing buildings from the Revit model or the BIM models, um, we still have to present it in a clear, concise graphic form. And without, you know, really knowing how to put together a good set of documents that illustrates exactly what you want people to do and bid and build, uh, you've got to refer to these, you've got to refer to these books and really kind of, you know, get it right so that you can get it built with little to no change orders or um, headaches. Well, I have a question for you guys. When, when considering going back to architectural graphic standards, um, how often do you look into that book and not find what you're looking for? 
because it's just not there. Silence. You stumped, you stumped I stumped you guys. Well, you know, <laughs> there there has been some times where, you know, especially with additions, you know, like odd additions to existing buildings where the existing conditions aren't allowing you to do exactly what it's saying in the book that you got to, you know, obviously modify and, and, you know, twist it around just to get it to work. But for the most part, yeah, you're right. It, you know, almost everything is there and, you know, it, it's constantly built off of, you know, what people were, you know, now we're slowly but surely getting away from like, you know, the heavy timber and, and you know, how many times do we honestly, unless we are building some high end um, uh, wood construction, do we ever really see the, you know, the roof deck or the floor decks made out of, you know, um, three quarter inch to an inch and a half, you know, tongue and groove plank, you know, so, so things like that, you know, kind of are slowly leaving the, I guess the lexicon of the details, but, uh, you know, for the most part, I mean, you can, you can find everything there. Well, I have another, um, you know, about a year or two back, I was actually on the beta program for the, um, uh, not online, but a, uh, a disc based version of yes. architectural graphic standards. And it's really cool and you can search and, and such like that. But maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little old school on this, but I find grabbing a reference book like that and actually being able to flip through the pages to find something is far more useful to me than trying to search through the disc-based version. I, I, what are your guys' thoughts on it? Have you I, ever used I was, that? I think I was part of that, too, and I have those discs, and I never use them. I, I, I wasn't, but I've seen, you know, in fact, my uh, Volume 10, my 10th uh, edition, had uh, a disc that came with it. Um, I think it's still sitting in the cover, and it's never came come out. But if you look at my 10th edition, it is tabbed to the hilt with... <laughs> little sticky notes and, you know, um, all that other stuff just hanging out of the, um, the spine of it to, uh, you know, of everything, you know, and I've got like little notes, you know, hanging out of it that says, you know, wood frame construction, um, blah, 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 whatever detail that I'm looking for. So I can look at the little tab, pull it open and, you know, start looking at what I'm, what I really need. And yeah, to me, I, I, I like the more tactile thing. Plus, in a way, I also like the fact that yeah, I see it there. It's drawn, but now I have to draw it. So now I have to learn how to actually detail, you know, this picture and have it detailed properly to my application. Yeah, and it it raises your level of understanding because you're adapting it, right? I mean, you're not exactly. taking it exactly how it is because you know that that theater that they drew in there was poured in place concrete and now you're doing a steel frame or something and you do have to do some adaptation. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and I think what that does is as you start to learn about the way that you're detailing it, then, you know, and, and Evan, I know you, you can definitely speak to this, but you, well, all of us can, you know, now you learn that, you know, when you're designing something, you're not designing in a bubble of, oh, it's just a bunch of lines and somebody else is going to figure out how to detail that. No, now you can actually like consciously design 
thinking about, okay, you know, my floor to floor height is 12 feet. You know, I know that from that 12 foot, you know, second floor elevation below that I've got X amount of deck, I've got blah, and you know, I've got all of this different structure. So now you can actually start to think about what it is, how all of that structure of that the detail that you've now learned how to draw translates to the exterior facade, you know, and, and just, it starts to inform and educate your designs so that you're not having to completely redesign something because the design that somebody else who did know the detailing, so you don't have to like completely redesign it and say, yeah, you know, um, that didn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work. I know the client likes this and signed off on it, but we've got to give them some, something completely different, which we had an example of that at one of my older firms that I worked for is we had a designer who great designer can draw a really pretty picture, but didn't know the detailing and we couldn't make the, you know, the elevations work the way he wanted them to. And it was such an argument back and forth trying to explain to him. It's like, look, you know, yeah, you want, you know, these Florida, you know, this, double height space and all of this glass and all of this other stuff, but where are you putting the structure? Well, you can figure that out. <laughs> yeah, this this might derail things a little bit. This What you're, what you're bringing up here as far as the architectural library goes, but I think that this is a, a great topic to talk about, so maybe we just jump off here for a second. And it, and it really comes down to, you know, this comment came up this week in my office and it was, why do we call everybody who gets hired a designer? Because that's kind of our entry-level position. If you want to have a title, that's it. Everybody who comes into the firm is a designer. And I think that there's quite a few firms that do it this way. And so, you know, my thinking behind this is that it sounds a little bit pretentious, right? Everybody's a designer. But um, I would say that, you know, like you're you're talking about the guy who's the designer with a capital D, kind of going back to episode one where we, we touched on this a little bit where, yeah, you can draw a pretty picture, but they can't figure anything out. Um, that is a designer, and that, that person is not probably an architect, um, if you if you get deep into the, the meanings of these words. Sure. But when an intern comes in and they're a designer, what I like to think is that that starts to program them to be thinking like a designer, no matter what path they take in their career, because everybody who touches these projects should be designing. And we have people who do production work, we have people who do project management work, and we have people who do design work. And there's there's kind of these separate tracks that people take, but every single one of them has to be designing on these projects in some capacity. And I think that that gets lost for a lot of people. They think, oh, you know, I'm just drawing toilet details. I'm just drawing, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm just drawing footings. I'm just, but you, if you're applying yourself and you're not simply just becoming someone who works on an assembly line who is just drawing and picking up red marks and brainlessly toiling away at a set of working drawings, you should be putting thought and solving problems. And that's what designers are, is they're problem solvers. And everybody who touches these projects should be attempting to solve problems and make it a better project however they can, whether they get you know, the respect for that or not, it, it makes a better product. And you're able at the end to say, okay, yeah, I was given this, but this is how I applied it. And this is how I figured it out. And this is how I took it to the level where, you know, this is going to work so much better for the client. And I think that 
a lot of people lose sight of that when they're working on these projects because they're not the person putting down the first lines on the paper. What do you guys think about that? Well, you know, <laughs> I was actually talking about this um, with people in the office about um, kind of it, it, it almost harkens to like what type of delivery method that a particular firm does, whether it's the assembly line um, type firm that, you know, you've got the designer, the designer hands it off to the, um, you know, the people who essentially take it into design development and construction documents. And then you've got them kind of segmented with a project manager, project architect, you know, or senior project architect, and then like, you know, several project architects that are kind of just working on the thing. And then you hand that off to somebody who's a construction administrator and no one person, you know, it, it kind of pulls that consistency away from the project that kind of loses focus and to me kind of hinders the whole process because if you don't have let me just explain that I, I've since the day one of you know even before graduating I've worked in firms that are all the project manager on the project is typically he's the designer and the construction administrator. You know, he does the whole gamut of things. And there are people who are, who work with him on it that eventually will drop off and go on to another project. But we always, you know, we always have that project manager that is the consistent and constant all the way through. And when, you know, I, I've, I've taken over a project where, you know, I'm like the new hire. And he's like, all right, when you're now the project manager on this and you're going to be you know, it's in 10% construction. I'm sitting in a meeting, haven't really fully immersed myself with what's going on with the project. And people are telling me, oh, you know, uh, this was a design problem. This was a design problem. And then they're looking at me like, why did you design it that way? Like, well, you know, I really didn't design it, but, you know, you can't use those ex excuses. So, you know, you, you, you start to, when you chop up a project, and I don't know if it's exactly what you're talking about, Evan, but when you chop up a project and you kind of make it more of an assembly line process where you have a designer and then it goes on to the next phase, people start losing interest in, you know, ownership. They, yeah, in ownership, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, so the project tends to fail. You know, I think that even, that approach is is detrimental to most projects where you don't have a person who who had that big idea. Um, when they drop off the project and they aren't able to carry it through to the end, not only is that person doing a disservice to themselves because they're not having to figure out all of those things as they go along or at least be involved, but they're also handing that off, like you said, and, and, and those ideas don't translate down to people who don't own the project as much as that person. And as much as they have to be a leader, you know, they have to be the cheerleader all the way through that project to to get that design intent all the way to the end because that's what's most important to the client. Usually right. these responses in design are direct responses to problems that the clients told them that they have. And if those things get lost, that's when you start to deliver a project to the end that, that doesn't fulfill the goals of the project. I've actually worked at uh, several firms and, and I've experienced both. And I, I really started my career in a small office and you know so everybody was involved there's two or three people you're you, you don't really necessarily have a project manager but i mean everybody works on the team to get a project completed and so there's a lot of collaboration um and 
I've also worked, you know, in a larger firm where it was more project, what I called project manager driven. Uh, and so you did have that sort of team leader that would uh, meet with the clients and then, you know, run the run the production all the way through into construction. And at one point I, I worked for a firm that was really uh, segregated and you had you know, say the designers and they would meet with the clients early on, do a design package, and then it would kind of just get passed off to a production team. And then the production team would take over and, you know, there'd be some communication obviously with the client after that point, but the designers and part of it was the firm was, uh, the main office was in Southern California. The satellite office was in Northern California where I worked out of. And, so we had that distance thing going on, and That's so really the, hard. the yeah. designers were all down south, and they would pass it off to you because these were Northern California projects, and you know, so you would just pick it up, and you really had no idea what, why certain things were done this uh, a way, uh, a certain way, um, details that were kind of okay. Well, here's a detail package, but sometimes the details worked, sometimes maybe they didn't. Or there were changes, and then you really you didn't have that uh, maybe institutional knowledge, if you will, of a project. And so, as as I was on the production side, um, you know, it, it was tough. But what I found interesting was when I worked f- with the firm that was more project manager driven. One of our complaints was that the designers wouldn't detail out a project very well, and so we would often complain like. You know, okay, well, the, the, we're not getting the information we need from the designers. And, you know, it'd be nice if they, you know, we could collaborate with them a little bit during the production part. So that helped. Um, but we often complain, oh, okay, it'd be nice to have this set of details maybe coming from them. And then when I did work in an environment where we were getting that, but because it was so segregated, uh, and the designers were like, okay, we're up, you know, don't talk to us. It's pushed down to uh, production now. We don't care about the project. Don't call us. Uh, we'll call you sort of attitude. And um, and I didn't like that. I, I, I didn't work for that firm for very long, actually, uh, because I, I just didn't. I didn't like that collaborative process or didn't, the lack of co- uh, collaborative process. And uh, that brings me. You know, even to uh, recently, I started uh, consulting with a firm on a temporary basis to help them get a project completed. And so I'm working in a small office right now of like four people or something. And, you know, I was drawing sections through this uh, existing commercial building and uh, got through this elevator tower. And, and it literally the collaboration was was fantastic because I was working back and forth with another guy and, and then also one of the principals of the firm. And as I was drawing things, I was like, okay, well, how does this work, guys? You know, what was your thinking? And then we'd talk about it and I'd draw apart and then we'd literally stand around the computer and work back and forth, you know, between different pieces of the, uh, of the building to try and figure out how it works. And that's a really fun process. I mean, it's painful sometimes because you feel like you should know how something works but uh, but sometimes you don't or you don't have enough information. And so that that collaborative process is a lot of fun. And uh, I find that uh, a real learning experience where, you know, when you do work for uh, a firm where everything's separated and you can't talk to the designers or, you know, you're not supposed to, uh, that that's not fun. I, I have to say that 
you know, the, the team members that I like to work with the most are the ones who aren't afraid to pick up the phone or stick their head up and come over and talk to you about that. Because, you know, when you're, when you are early on in the design stage, you can't think of everything. And number one, you know, the, the deadlines are what they are and you've got to move things along and you've got to work things out later. You know, that's what those other phases of the project are for. Um, I love it when somebody is not afraid to pick up the phone. You know, there's two scenarios. There's the one where, where you send out the stuff and then the people say, grumble, 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 look what this look what this idiot did here. And ha, 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 look what he did here. What was he thinking here? And then there's the other people who immediately pick up the phone and say, okay, I see some potential issues with this, this, and this. Let's work through them. And that, like those are the collaborative efforts that you're talking about, Neil. And that is when I really feel like people are doing architecture. Yeah. They're not treating it as a handoff. They're treating it... Number one, you know, the, the designer expects things to come back to them, and the product, the people who are doing production are also saying, I am going to get exactly what I need from this person because they owe it to me. And that's a, that's a cool process to go through. I think that those are the, the most successful working environments that, that we can ask for sometimes is, is when there is a handoff, when that is that either the type of firm you're working at or whether it's the type of project because of the schedule or whatever – um, you've got to bring in new team members who are seeing it for the first time. And man, you know, sometimes that really sucks too, but, um, they've got to get up to speed. And the best thing that they can do is say, you know, let's go to lunch. Let's talk about this. Let's have a meeting. Let's talk through this and, and let's, let's work on this together. And the solutions that come up are usually much better because I, you know, I also seeing it from the other end, man, you see some people, you, you, you have a design intent, you even draw a detail and then somebody does it completely differently. Um, than what what you wanted and and then it's like you really feel like they dropped the ball they they never let you know it was an issue they solved it some other way that was completely foreign to the intent and it's like that was a huge missed opportunity yeah that's never that's never a good thing um you know but cormick something you you said earlier about your uh graphic standards uh book how it's all tabbed up that that just reminded me when I pulled mine out to take that photo uh, that I posted uh, last week that uh, my book was also all tabbed up and I, I, I didn't even remember that um, that it that it was so that that shows you how long it's been since I've looked at it but one of the things I'd, I'd really be curious because uh, we had talked briefly about you know the the digital versions uh, however that's done you know, whether it's on a disk or online um, is I'd really like to get some feedback from, say, maybe some of our, our student listeners uh, or those that are uh, in architecture school now or just out of school, um, how they feel about these digital versions of these of these books. And maybe they don't even use them uh, or maybe they don't even use the, the architectural graphic standards or any of these other types of books uh, at all. So, um, you know, but maybe maybe this more computer generation uh, is, is used to that and, and they're okay with that. But I, I, I'd appreciate, you know, some feedback on that from people. Cause I think that would be enlightening to me. Well, speaking of enlightening. Um, so when we started talking about the whole library thing, and this kind of ties into what, you know, our kind of sidebar about collaboration and, and project delivery and, and the design and how it's carried out all the way through, most all of my books that I have 
I use as reference material, whether it's looking for, you know, specific design, you know, not really design inspiration, you know, is, ooh, look, I'm going to do that one. But, you know, it's just like how people have um, looked at a, you know, design solution, a design challenge, and how they've solved it and, you know, get inspiration from that. But I've always used all of my books, you know, clearly. I mean, we buy them. A lot of times we buy them for the pretty pictures, but ultimately I, I'm using them as reference material. And I ask this question a lot in the office, um, mainly from all of the new guys that are coming in, mo- the recent graduates and stuff. I'm like, well, tell me about your architecture library. And <laughs> I have people, and it just, it shocks me. Okay. So I've, I've got, I don't know, it seems, I didn't count yesterday, but it's, you know, between three and 500, you know, books um, on my, on my shelf of, and this is just purely architecture books, not, um, you know, the, you know, history books and art books and, you know, drawing books and, you know, all of the other, I literally have about three to 500 architecturally related books. And, um, you know, so it, it doesn't seem to register when somebody says, well, I've got like three books or I've got no books. And I'm just well, why don't you have any books? And most of them are like, well, you know, we can find everything online. And like, These well, are the same architects who don't have scales. Yeah. <laughs> they, um, they draw everything on the computer. Yeah, it's just, oh, I had one of those in school, but, you know, we don't really need them now. It's like, oh, what do you mean you don't need them? Um, you know, because you know, when we were trying to generate topics or, you know, what we were going to talk about, you know, one of them that I want to eventually talk about and get to is, you know, um, sketching tool for architects and things like that. But, um, you know, it's just things that we grew up with doing, you know, just as second nature as, you know, architects and designers. It, um, it just doesn't seem to be the same thing anymore. And when I was asking, well, you know, how do you, you know, find reference? I'm like, well, you know, we just flip through the variety of different um, architectural websites, whether it be, you know, the Architects newspaper or Arc Daily or Architizer or, you know, or an or an or, you know, all these different ones. I'm like, well, you know, that's that's great, but you know, well, how do you, you know, keep track of them? How do you tab them? How do you store them? I mean, you know, if you want to reference back to something. Um, you know, I've, I've got this like little mental Rolodex and it's like, well, you know, I'm looking for a corner window condition, um, where the, you know, the, the beam above, you know, cantilevers out, you know, and so they was, oh, you know, um, HOK or SOM, you know, they did a project like this. Let me show you what they did, you know, and, and so you can kind of see examples of what you're trying to do and see how they solved it. Well, I, so I I've don't, got, you know, I've, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so I've got all of these like books tabbed and, and, you know, stacked and it's just, you know, I almost even have them stacked. It's like, you know, here's going to be my, you know, the stuff for the materials and here's this and here's that. And it just kind of baffles me that, you know, where, where is the architect's library today versus, you know, us old timers that wanted to like, you know, feel, feel the pages, you know, flip, you know, between our hands when we're, you know, trying to do and look for something and it's it's interesting to kind of to see where you know what you know evan you 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 work in a larger you know a larger office than you know five um you know i work in an office of 20 and you know 
I've asked the question at least, you know, five, six, seven times, you know, with all of the new hires that come in or, or people that I work with. And, you know, it, it's always usually the same. I mean, it's a, this diminishing, uh, library and it's the, the diminishing, you know, quantity of, of stuff on their shelves. And you say, Oh, we don't need shelves. Yeah. We got it all on the computer. Yeah. You know, and I, I do have some architectural books, not well, reference books, like we're talking about on my iPad. Um, I do like to carry those around with me and not have them actual the physical books in my bag. But I do have physical copies of the same books on my bookshelf. Um, you know, like the Architect's Portable Handbook is a great kind of oh, yeah. field guide yeah. to things. Yes. And, uh, you know, I've got one of those on my bookshelf, but I also have it in PDF form on my iPad. Um, and so I think there's a value to that sometimes. But what you're talking about with it, not above and beyond the tactile feel of the pages and being able to skim through these things but it is a tool of the profession and i think one of the first parts to being a professional is having the tools you know it's like dress for success right it's the same thing you've got to have a set of scales you've got to have a couple triangles because there are things that we do on paper no matter what and i you know this is another topic for another episode but there's a huge value in sketching. And, you know, I'm, all the time, even when I'm just talking to my wife about something, I will have a pencil in my hand and I will draw it and she'll get frustrated and say, just tell me. And I say, I can't. I don't know how. I, I've got to draw this to explain it correctly. And I think that, you know, that's that's part of our language of how yeah. we talk. <laughs> and it's so amazing how fast you can come to solutions when you actually are just drawing and, and using a circle template and using a scale and using a rolling ruler to figure something out quickly. You know, um, those tools along with these books on our shelves are huge time savers. Um, you're not going to spend time in Google and, and Amazon and, and searching for the book and trying to find somebody who's scanned it in. It's right there on your shelf. And, and the thing about my, my office, it's a little weird is we don't have a a proper architectural library. I know that the office either. used to, but when they moved offices, I think, you know, I don't know what happened to all those books. Um, it seems like everybody kind of has their personal collection now. And yeah. so you kind of have to know who has what in the office. And it's kind of a cool little networking tool to go around and say, okay, here's what's on my library. If you ever need anything, feel free to borrow it. I want to know what's on your library. And that's that's kind of a fun thing to do, I think. I used to bring my books in and I've got a small portion of like books that I really more eye candy books that I, you know, kind of keep at my desk. Um, and I posted a picture of, of one of kind of like the ones that are right in the eye shot of me, um, that hover over the uh, screen of my computer. But I've had too many books walk away. Yeah, that happens that I've, you know, I mean, because I'm, you know, I use these so much and I'm protective of my books. I, uh, I, I stopped bringing them in or, or the ones that I know I have in the office, I keep, you know, I got them on low jack. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, I know exactly. I was like, I know that you did not buy that book. Why? Cause look at that little, uh, you know, cryptic and hip initials, you know, in that corner right there. That's mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't want to, you know, yeah. I I've got this this friend of mine who's a lighting consultant, and uh, he's uh, he's he's an older guy. He's he's so fun to talk to. Every time he comes into the office, he brings me a new stack of books to look at because his architectural library 
is thousands of books. Wow. And wow. So everyone's got a big sticker on the front page that says, you know, this is my book. And then and he knows the next time he comes in, I'm going to give him those books back and he's going to give me another stack. And it is so much fun to go through these books. And, and he's got, you know, an amazing collection. He's like, you know, I thought you'd like something in this one. And, and so he would he he kind of points out a few things that he thinks are of interest. And then he just leaves them. And, you know, he comes back a couple months later and swaps them out for a new stack. And that's that's a pretty cool thing. One of the things it sounds like we all need to do is kind of uh, rediscover our libraries. You know, Cormac, you you're yeah. said you cleaned out the basement and you found a whole bunch that you'd forgotten you had. And and certainly I was standing around in, in our library and in my house here and just looking around. And that's really kind of what prompted this was, wow, I really do have a lot of books here. And, you know, architecture books, and we have a lot of other types of books, and maybe we'll touch on that in a moment. But uh, it's like, wow, I I think I need to rediscover this because there's a a wealth of information here that, um, you know, maybe I can find using Google. And uh, and there definitely are some times, and I don't want to discredit searching for things online uh, because we often use that in in this office I'm working in right oh, now. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, oh, yeah. You know how literally you can type something, you know, a, a short phrase, and bam, you have the information. It's right in front of you, or you can click on the image link, and suddenly you've got flashing details or other types of things that you might be searching for, and and it. Just comes up so fast and and sometimes so i think i think i guess maybe what we're trying to say is is that you know use the right tool sometimes yeah. and maybe maybe searching online is that right tool for something and maybe if it doesn't come up in 0.025 seconds uh then you go grab it off your off your shelf yeah i'm a huge proponent of using the right tool for the job i mean that's 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 a big deal oh yeah i, I mean you're right you know the one thing that's kind of disappeared from every architecture's office but it hasn't disappeared at all is uh the good old sweets catalogs oh, uh, yeah um but uh i'll tell you what i am you know if not on the sweets.com website at least once a week it's probably a lot more you know and there's an app i think they've got an app and, too, and they, there and is they an app have for a, that yep they now have an app um we actually uh I think all three of us probably are um, friends with, um, and God, I um, I will find her. But she is uh, she works for Sweets. She works for McGraw Hill, I believe, or, or Sweet, whoever uh, per, uh, puts out Sweets, and is always talking about you know this the Sweets catalog and the Sweet apps on Twitter, and um, you know I mean. They used to go, they went from being a valuable tool to find, you know, the latest and greatest products to put into your specifications to then just something to hold down the, um, your models when you're gluing them down, um, and gluing down all the, you know, the, the topos and all that other stuff is how we used to use them because they were the heaviest thing in the uh, office. It's yeah. pretty much just you know, a huge green wall. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then they just kind of like disappeared one day. Um, but, uh, it, it makes a lot know, of sense for that kind of thing to actually disappear it, and go digital. It does. It does. And, you know, I, I find that I use that and I use the, uh, um, com as well. I don't know if you guys have ever used that, yeah. but, uh, Arcat's, um, basically another, it, it's a type of suites, 
um, thing where you can go into per division of the specifications and click on, well, I'm looking for, um, you know, uh, I don't know, transition strips. Click on transition strips and, you know, uh, that division that you would, you can pull down details, you know, spec uh, sections for it. You know, all the, all the things that you need, which, you know, make it great for being able to not only, you know, pull down the detail, but also, you know, make sure that your specs have exactly what you're, you know, drawing and detailing. Um, so they kind of do the same, you know, you've got to, you got to set of documents that are working together. Well, it, sound, it sounds like what may be changing in offices um, over the last 10 to 20 plus years is that the reference material or, or um, you know, like things like graphic standards or our architectural books, uh, several of which we've mentioned and several, you know, many we haven't, but the catalogs. Uh, are are disappearing from from uh, a lot of offices. You know well, that all the stuff product updates catalogs. so quickly. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it, well, that was always one of the challenges. Was I mean, I, I know one firm I worked with, even uh, at one point, uh, partner not partnered, hired a third party firm that essentially would just update our library of product catalogs all the time, and. I think those are the things that are probably disappearing and being replaced by uh, that information being available on the Internet and and easily uh, accessible to the specifications and copy and paste into your own specs. Um, You know, that sort of maybe that's the part of the architectural library for an office that's disappearing where, you know, what we're talking about today is that the the rich reference material um, and and just graphically representation or represented uh, books or just books on the architectural history or, or buildings or architects uh, or cities, um, you know, that sort of information is still in our libraries. Yeah, you know, a couple more books that, that I thought about, um, you know, I'm studying for my exams right now. And one of the things that keeps coming up in the ones that I'm is uh, – Kevin Lynch's Image of the City. Ah, yes. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, the other day I'm looking through my library, and there it is. It's yep. right there. I didn't even remember that I had it. And had uh, it. what's funny is that book's going to get a heck of a lot of use now because I'm probably the only one in the office who has it. And so there's <laughs> a bunch of people studying for their exams, and they're going to they're gonna want to read that. I actually have that book hovering right over my head. I think it's sitting right next to the Architecture of Los Angeles. Nice. Because um, I can see, like, my little books and... It's uh, the um, getting um, getting around, or I, I can't the uh, Ripchinsky book. God, I can never pronounce. Oh it. yeah, the guidebook. Yeah, uh, no, it's uh, it, it's. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this guy's name because I butcher it every time I say it. Um, but uh, um, told Ripchinsky. Um, Go ahead, everybody who's going to comment. Yes, I did butcher his name, but he's got a great series of books um, about, like, you know, looking around and things like, in fact, looking around, I believe, is one of the titles. But, I mean, it's just this great series of books that, you know, talk about the experience of architecture. Um, if you guys haven't seen them, it's just a great read because and, – and I'll I'll try to find a link um, to his uh, – his work and probably even the pronunciation of his name, but, um, you know, just, uh, it's just a great series of books that, you know, kind of remind me of a more, um, readable version of like pattern language. 
yeah. where Pattern Language is more of a you know academic type book. I love that um, book. Oh, it, it's a fantastic book. I've I, got a copy I, of that. I, I you know I remember all the way you know every. That was that was one of my biggest reference books, both in um, when I was working uh, commercial doing I mean, not commercial you know residential doing uh, you know new urbanist communities um, you know working with new urbanist communities I loved pulling it out because you know it just talked about the flavor of, of like all of these little nuances that we just take for granted in architecture and, and I think actually that's one of the things that I love about my book collection is that. You know, not o- not all the time will I ever actually get to design like an English garden or something like that. But through my books, I will be able to experience some of these great spaces. And, you know, maybe I get the opportunity to. But, you know, now I have, you know, all these different reference books that kind of let me know, you know, that there are other people out there that have done it. And that, you know, I don't have to reinvent the wheel to do something. I just have to look, you know, and as you said, Evan, it's finding the right tools for the job. Right. So, um, I was going to mention, you, you talked about not reinventing the wheel um, there. One of the other books that was on, on my shelf that uh, came, came up the other day was the, a book called American House Styles. And uh, that was, I mean, I just, I love thumbing through that sometimes because as you know working in residential uh especially in northern california where i live there's a lot of homes that were built in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and so on that really have no style per se and um it does help to go back and look at that book and especially if you're doing a remodel and the the client wants you know a particular style you can pull that out and 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 really examine the the details and the parts that make up a particular style and really pull from that to kind of adapt a 70s you know ranch house into something that uh, you know, it's it's not, but you can create something. You can use that as a reference to 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 make a better house out of out of it. So um, I really enjoy that book as well. And, and I, we should probably mention, you know, to all of our listeners who are listening along, writing these these books down if they don't have them or they're not familiar with them. And then you know, we've got the other listeners who are like, yep, yep, oh, you guys should be talking about this one. You should be talking about this one too. And we'll we'll hopefully get get those in the comments. But um, We'll provide links in our show notes to all these books, um, at least the ones that are available, and probably through Amazon or whatever on on the website. And you guys can go to arcaspeakpodcast.com and click on the episodes link, and the latest episode will be right at the top of that page. You know, something else I think, uh, you know, beyond just architecture books, um, you know, I'm sure many of us have other books on our shelves too. And, uh, I'd be curious what other types of things you guys have on your shelves. And well, let me ask this, Neil, because yeah. I've, I've been actually wanting to ask this to you, you specifically. All right, you you're, you live in a household with two architects, your yes. wife and you, and you guys, your residential and your wife is commercial. Um, I'd be interested to know what your libraries are like do you have similar interest in like you know monographs and things like that or do you have completely differing you know volumes of stuff and you know it would be really interesting you know because now it's a you know i mean 
Evan, your books are, you know, kind of more of like to your sensibilities of like your design tastes and things like that, probably, you know, and, and I know mine are, um, but now you have, um, you know, two, I don't know if you guys, you know, share, you know, the same similar style sensibilities or, or likes or things, but I'd be interested to kind of know what your, um, your library is like. Sure. You know, I didn't have as many architecture books, uh, you know, just, just, uh, you know, it was more of a monetary thing. I, I just really couldn't afford, uh, to have some of these really nice books. And, uh, so I, I had, you know, some, uh, somewhat decent sized library, nothing like yours, Cormac. But, uh, when I, when I got married, uh, my wife's library dwarfed mine and she's got books that I've never heard of or just all kinds of things and just an amazing library. And so it makes my library now look fantastic. Um, <laughs> but what's interesting about, about that is we do have uh, a few, not a lot, but we do have a few duplicates, you know, just from our college days uh, having the same books. Um, but she has a much, much wider variety in, uh, of, of books and and uh, cities and just um, books about cities, books about uh, architects and uh, history and uh, just an amazing, amazing collection of books. And then in addition to that, she's got an, an incredible um, nonfiction library and fiction library of uh, Hollywood history and you know right. Stephen King and uh, you know other nonfiction books uh, that just boggle my mind. I, I actually, um, when we redesigned our house and and built built a new house, essentially, uh, one of the design challenges that I looked around and and I went, "Wow, we have a lot of books." Um, and my dining room at the time was really a, a two feet or so two to three feet wider than it needed to be. And so what I did was I actually built in a series of shelves on each side. So our, our dining room is essentially also doubles as a library. And I think I counted it up. I have over a hundred, almost 130 lineal feet of shelving space just in our dining room. And, uh, every, almost virtually every shelf is full front to back it's like okay we can't buy any more books because and now since we have a family we don't buy as many books but uh uh it's uh it's pretty full actually and um it's it's a great collection it's one that we don't probably get to look at or read and enjoy as much now with uh two small kids at home but uh but it certainly is is a great uh library and and it's a combination of of um of everything and and to really kind of answer your question uh about do we have similar styles i think we actually do um in fact uh, a funny funny sidebar when we recently was, was uh valentine's day and so we each gave each, uh gave each other cards and when we opened them up we we started laughing because we didn't buy the exact same card because obviously you know husband and wife different cards but the image on the front was almost identical. It was like a couple walking down a street in kind of a vignetted view. And each card had that on there. And actually several phrases uh, of the text inside the cards was identical. 
and I was like, wow, I guess we really were meant for each other because we're buying each other similar Valentine cards. So um, our styles do kind of uh, mesh and uh, and that works out well, not only in our marriage, but uh, in, in, in our architectural background, too. Um, so, uh, you know, that that does that does work out pretty well. Well, you know, where I, where I got most of my books from um, is it was um, like the uh, Columbia DVD collection type thing. It was, um, and I'm trying to look online to see if I can find the actual link to it, but it was basically an architects and engineers book club type thing where you buy, you know, you you get like six books at, you know, a you know discounted rate and then you have to buy one you know at the full rate kind of thing and i, I swear you know it probably drove my wife crazy but she, you got another you know you got a new book and, and <laughs> you know just had this like long stack of of books and um and it was it was it was kind of fun to to get um to you know every two weeks i would have a new book in there like, ah, it was almost like my you know a birthday for me that's uh, awesome I've got I've got all my all my architecture books at the office, and both my wife and I don't read any fiction really. So around here, you know, mostly what's next to my bed or in my office is stuff that's. I, I'm a huge fan of Seth Godin. Um, his books are are all amazing, and, and there's a couple of other um, one that I recently finished that was really good. It's called Design as a Job. And that's by Mike Montero, who's on Twitter as Mike underscore FTW. And he uh, he wrote a really great book about just how to be a designer, what it takes to be a designer, how you always have to be selling your your projects and, and convincing people why you're the guy for the job or the, the, late, the woman for the job. And, you know, I think it's it's one of those it's a short book and it is an amazingly concise read of what it takes to be a designer today. And his particular area of expertise is web design, but it totally transcends graphic design, architectural design. Anybody who is in front of clients and doing client services, it's one of those kind of no-brainer, you got to read this because there's there's so much great stuff in there. I, I have that book as well, and it is, it is an excellent read. And then, of course, if you're... Uh the not safe for work version of his uh, uh, video. Or he did a a talk, and it yeah. was posted online. And uh, um, we'll have to put a link in there for that as well because it's it's pretty epic, and it's really fantastic for uh, for everybody uh, who works in our profession as well as uh, as web design or uh, just uh, in graphic arts and working as a consultant. Uh, so it's it's an excellent um, uh, uh, excellent video to watch. It's like forty five minutes or something, but it's certainly uh, uh, put your headphones on and don't be offended by the f word. Yeah, <laughs> so great. it uh, is a great video. All right, so we're saying that you know we don't really buy very many books recently, but um, what are the what's the latest book that you guys have purchased? Hmm. 
It, it doesn't matter. It could even be, you know, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Okay, mine, mine is, mine is. Uh, actually, I have two that I've gotten really recently, and one of them is architectural. One of them is the 25th edition of the Case Study Houses. Ah, yes, beautiful book. And that is an amazing book. Yes. Uh, it's a great I, coffee table book. I have book. And uh, I'll put a link really to that one in the show notes because it's it's just one I think everybody should have. And then the other one is, and I'm looking for the for the, for it right now, but it's a it's a book on all the Pixar movies, and it's has all of the storyboards for all of their movies, and they're all done in completely different styles because they're all different artists. And so it's just a picture book, and every page has thumbnails and upon thumbnails of frames of these movies before they were put into the computer. That sounds that it's awesome. sounds great. Um, what about you, Neil? Well, actually, it's uh, a couple of books I got for Christmas, and um, and and really one is is about the history of Marvel Comics, actually. <laughs> um, and then another one I got was on um, the art of uh, Greg Horn, who's a comic book illustrator, and um, and so those are those are the two books that that I've gotten recently, and and I haven't actually cracked them yet because um, I have my other obsession, uh, which I I have is is reading actually comic books, um, <laughs> and from Marvel and DC and some of the independents, so um, I tend. To to uh you know those i don't know if you can really call those books but um but i mean i i I do read read them and as we'll probably discover in future episodes on this podcast i do have a rather large collection um of comics and um have read most of them over the years and and so so obviously so the every wednesday you know and and cormac you and i go back and forth about what we're getting (laughs) every every wednesday or so and and uh, in fact, I need to get out there this weekend if I can. But uh, um, you know, so those are kind of the the books that uh, that I'm reading. And, and actually, if you um, uh, the the most recent uh, ones that I would almost rec- rec- would recommend would be the uh, and I know we'll probably maybe get some comments from people on this, but the Before Watchmen series of books from DC have um, uh, I've yeah. read. Two of the two of the uh, miniseries have completed, and I've, I've actually because I was so far behind on my reading that I've just kind of waited now, and I'm I'm reading each of the individual issues as a as a group now, almost like uh, picking up the graphic novel of it. But uh, I'm reading those, and I have to say that they're, they're quite excellent. Uh, the few that I've uh, read so far. Well, I've. <laughs> I would say that almost all of mine come from my Wednesday venture to uh, the local comic book shops. Um, I got uh, most recently turned on to a, uh, a series, an independent series called Bedlam. And it was more because of the kind of like really sketchy, it's very not PG-13. It's a... Uh, whatever the R rating in comic books are. Very um, not PG-13. <laughs> yes. Um, it's, uh, it's just a, a fan. The, um, the artist uh, is it's just fantastic artwork. You know, it's kind of a very sketchy style, which, you know, if, as at least you two know, and a few more people know, I do my little, you know, daily sketch um, on a post-it note and, you know, post it online. Um, 
And so, um, you know, anything about, you know, new artists and sketching and stuff like that, I, you know, tend to buy. And now that I'm kind of venturing forward in actually putting the sketching to practice and um, trying to write a comic book or, you know, write, illustrate, it's uh, a joint venture between me and a buddy of mine. Um, I've picked up a lot of um, how-to books on, you know, like how to, uh, you know, practice figure drawing in for graphic novels and sketching and shadowing and all this other stuff to kind of, you know, I mean, I, I draw all the time, but I've never actually followed anybody's rules. And you Do know. you have a, a favorite artist? Um, honestly, when it comes right down to it, I think I've always been enamored with, and it's because of my affinity with Spawn, I really like McFarlane. Todd McFarlane's just a fantastic artist. Um, but I mean, there's, there's so many more. And I mean, there's, there's more that I wish I knew their names because they're some of the newer artists. I mean, there's, you know, your classic artists, you know, the Dickos and things like that, that are just, you know, they're the staple of, you know, the golden age of comics and stuff like that. But when you, you know, really get down to it, like, you know, Delgado's doing the, um, the new, uh, superior Spider-Man, um, you know, I think he's either the pen or the colors, but, um, I mean, just, you know, all of his work is just fantastic, but I've always, you know, been amazed at the technical, you know, just everything technically amazed by, you know, Todd McFarlane's work. Um, I, I don't know how, he, I don't know what you think about him, uh, Neil, cause you know, he's, he's kind of had his hand in, you know, like, you know, a couple of Batman series and, you know, Spider-Man when he was working with uh, Marvel before they started, you know, um, image comics and stuff like that. But I don't, I mean, <laughs> I what I can say, say about Todd's work, uh, in McFarlane's work is it defined Spider-Man for an entire generation. Yeah. And so it was, it was an epic, um, you know he's he's his illustration style and and his ability um was just fantastic at the time and he doesn't draw so much anymore but uh um when he was doing Spider-Man he really defined Spider-Man for uh, uh over a decade and and even his influence um is is still exists today um in, with Spider-Man and yeah. uh as a character mostly Spider-Man and so, um, yeah, he's, he's essential to, to that character and to his work is, is, is amazing. It's too bad, uh, actually, that he doesn't illustrate uh, as much anymore because he, nice. he, was, you know, he was fantastic. Too busy running the empire. Um, I guess so. I guess so. Yes. You know, the person, the artist, uh, if I can butt in on answering that question, too, yeah. that uh, really defined an era for me was John Byrne. Um, yeah, and his yeah. run on the Fantastic Four in the early to mid '80s, uh, just next to Stanley and Jack Kirby, who obviously created—well, maybe not so obvious to everybody—but they created the Fantastic Four and defined them with one of the longest runs in comic book history on a on a single title, uh, which actually stood until. Um, just a few years ago when it was broken by a, uh, an art, a writer and an artist on Ultimate Spider-Man. And, you know, next to their efforts uh, that spanned almost a decade on that title, 
John Byrne really defined the Fantastic Four in the early 80s and and then eventually moved on to Superman and um, then, you know, spun off from there. But uh, to, for me, uh, you know, traditional comic book uh, illustration and actually before he was on Fantastic Four, he defined uh, the original X-Men. Well, not the original, but the new X-Men in the in the middle 70s with Chris Claremont as the writer. But, uh, um, you know, for me, that, that, that he really defined what comic book art was uh, for me uh, because that was more my generation that I grew up in. I didn't grow up, you know, um, reading uh, Stan and, and Jack's version of the Fantastic Four. That probably was a little just before my time. But going back, I can certainly appreciate what they did. Uh, but John John Byrne definitely defined that style for me, and actually um, almost turned me off from a lot of uh, art style that came later, um, where people started really branching off and doing different styles for comic books. And it really wasn't until you know the late '90s and maybe early 2000s where I started to kind of branch out and and um, you know appreciate other styles of of comic book art. And that, of course, has continued to grow. And I, I have a great appreciation for a number of different artists uh, today that I'm I wouldn't have had before. I'm assuming that the uh, um, Hellboy style of uh, artwork uh, probably makes your head blow up. Yeah, I'm not a fan of his work, actually. And actually, he was just uh, uh, Mike, and I, I'm going butcher to his, butcher his name, Mike Mengala, I believe is how it's pronounced. I'm not sure, but... He was just at an artist signing uh, here in the Bay Area at a comic book shop locally uh, just uh, this really? weekend. So, yeah. And I didn't know about it. Um, I'm kind of disappointed I would have taken my son to, to meet him because he, uh, my son does a lot of drawings and he uh, enjoys going to, uh, to meet the different artists at uh, the comic book shops. All right. So, uh, of course, you guys can follow us on Twitter at Arcaspeak, A-R-C-H-I-S-P-K. And we are at arcaspeakpodcast.com. And uh, you can find us on there and all of our, our Twitter stuff. I'm at etroxel, E-T-R-O-X-E-L. And uh, also, real quick, please uh, continue with the, the comments and ratings on iTunes. Those help a lot. And then the comments for our shows, you can leave those on the website as well. And I'm uh, N-P-A-N-N on uh, Twitter. And I'm uh, Archetype. It's A-R-C-H-Y underscore T-Y-P-E on Twitter as well and also on Instagram. So you can see all those uh, crazy little sketches I do every day. I join the choir to sing. They're all competing for some other thing. I join the choir to sing. I join the choir to sing.
Hey, hey, so those sketches. You, yes. Do you really limit yourself to two minutes? No. In fact, actually, uh, you know, that's actually the most common question. All right. Starts, I want my money back. Oh, no, no. <laughs> you haven't bought anything? No. no <laughs> Not so, yet. So here's actually how it started. It, it was originally, if you look, if you go back to, and I've got a um, Flickr page where I've got all of the sketches that I've done daily since October 26th of last year is when I started this. Sorry, August 26th of last year. 
And you look at those, yeah, you're going to say, oh, yeah, those are definitely, you know, two-minute sketches, just real, real rough, real quick. Um, and as they started to evolve and people were, like, you know, trying to give me, you know, challenges and ideas of things to sketch and draw and stuff, it, it became a lot more complicated, um, you know, to try to get, de- you know, all of this detail and stuff on a three-by-three three three post-it note. Yeah. But I, I will say that I stay true to the two-minute sketch when I'm – when I sketch it all out and I lay it all out, I, I get that done on, with pencil really quickly. And then um, I start the inking and marker process of, you know, just kind of like laying down, whether it's the color or, you know, just the black ink and all that other stuff. And, you know, rarely do I spend anything more than 20 minutes on a sketch. Um, and, uh, you know, it. Uh, the reason I keep the two-minute sketch hashtag going is because there are so many people that have been following me, you know, on uh, Instagram, like from day one, and they have like bookmarked two minute sketch, uh, that hashtag so that, you know, they can, you know, find, find my daily work, you know, and it, which I, I think is absolutely amazing. I'm, you know, I've, I've got you know a boatload of followers and, you know, get a lot of great comments and a lot of like positive feedback because, you know, there was a time when I would never show anybody any of my work. And then I started to, you know, do these postings and, you know, got positive feedback and felt like, you know, you know, maybe I'm, you know, reasonably decent at this. Um, nice. And then it, it, it literally I got a comment one day um, that said that, you know, this this one girl, she it's almost like picking up the daily newspaper for her. She gets her coffee and she goes and looks for my sketch. Wow. I was, nice. I was like, wow, that's great. You know, I was like, I don't know if I deserve that, but I, I thought it was amazing that, you know, she, you know, part of her daily ritual is, is, you know, looking at and, you know, looking at my sketches. And I'm like, wow. So, uh, so no, I don't, you know, I mean, there are some times where I will, you know, post a, uh, you know, a, a, a true two minute sketch. And sometimes I'll actually say true two minute sketch on there just, you know, and you can tell the quality, you know, difference between them. You know, some are like really highly sketchy um, and, you know, with just like a little bit of splash of color or marker on it. But otherwise, it really, you know, let's just call it, you know, what it really is. It's a 20 minute sketch. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I kind of feel bad every time I put the hashtag on there um, that you know, you're, calling you're it- now you're just keeping the dream alive there. You're, you're keeping the the flow going by doing that yeah yeah i mean you know i don't i'm, I'm not purposely because I, I seriously there's been people who've actually like been quite like at oh you that is not a you know that is not a two-minute sketch there's no way that that's two-minute sketch like, you are you're correct. right it's not it's just <laughs> like and if you actually look at my Flickr, you know the uh flicker posting or flicker page that i've got on well, that flicker page uh um yeah flicker page sorry i've, I've tried to start a tumblr page but honestly i can't keep up with all of these different pages and stuff and try to stay sane at the same time but um if you look at the Flickr page i have a little comment off to the side you know that says that though these did start off as a two-minute sketch you know um, full disclosure here you know so don't come and you know try to like yell at me just because it really isn't a two-minute sketch (laughs) that's a really impressive gallery by the way that's awesome. I'm, I'm waiting for the coffee table book myself. You know, I mean, I've actually had so many people ask me, well, what are you going to do with these? Because, I, I mean, as of right now, they're just sitting in either my, uh, you know, in a variety of different sketchbooks, just, you know, 
sandwiched together with the the date written underneath them. And I just recently picked up um, the Sketch a Day book, um, and it's got like a little slot for each, you know, a, a sketch every day. And so really, all I do is just write in the date, and I stick my post-it note on that. And it's a lot easier to kind of make, you know, keep track of where everything is. But uh, you know. They've got so many post-it notes floating around this house. I really don't know what to do with them. And my wife, I'm pretty sure my wife wants me to do something with them. And yeah. I like how all of the photos have one of your instruments of uh, yeah. choice in, in there with it. You've got some some kind of a pen or a, a micron I, or whatever. I had, start, I had started the whole thing off, and actually this is probably why it was the two-minute sketch. I started everything off drawing with my old... Um, God, it's got to be like 80 years old fountain pen. Um, and it's a great thing, but the problem was is that I was drawing so much with it, and it probably hadn't had that the nib started to bend um, a little bit. And uh, I didn't want to do any more damage to it because I, I can't get that replaced. I mean, I could probably get it fixed, but I can't get it replaced. So I stopped drawing with that. But I had always, you know, just because I, you know, was using the hashtag, you know, sketch with fountain pen and you know, crazy crap like that, that, you know, I was always, you know, putting, you know, oh, you didn't draw that with a fountain pen. So I was like, okay, here. And I would put, I would always put the thing. So now it's just become, yeah, let's go ahead and just show the, you know, show the utensil that I drew with me. And and a lot of times it actually shows the scale of this little sketch. Right. There's a lot of people, you know, know, somebody was trying to question. (laughs) It's, 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 I guess it's kind of weird to me to actually like be confronted with people. There's no way that that's a sketch on a post-it note. And so, so I guess in a way I kind of purposely get the, you know, almost the edge to edge. If it's not like the full, you know, post-it note, at least a portion of the post-it note in there so that you can see it with the scale of the nib of a, you know, 0.005 micron, which is my tool of choice. Um, and, uh, you know, so I just sit there and I put it on there to kind of show everybody that, you know, hey, it really is this small of a sketch. And, you know, it's just kind of something fun and, you know, and something for me to kind of take a mental break from the day. Because obviously we all know that, you know, there are some times where, you know, we get the crazy phone calls from contractors or, or clients or, you know, from somewhere else. And, you know, it's just, you know, it, it we can have a stressful life and, you know one thing that I enjoy is sketching and drawing. So I use this as a way to just kind of, you know, detach a little bit, draw a little bit, you know, and then get back to reality after I'm done. Well, until next time. Thank you guys. And thanks for listening to me babble on about a uh, sketching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. It's great. All right. See you next time. All right. Bye-bye.